This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, Bokertov, good morning. How are you? Bokertov and Tubishvat Sameach, um, even though we oh, are. Oh, my word, I clean forgot about it. I clean forgot about it. And so we do, have to, we do have to talk a little bit about Tubishvat mm. because, of course, mm. it's the new year of the trees and it's an opportunity. Um, to do a little bit of rebuilding and to do a little bit of good, um, a lot of efforts around Israel to plant trees and to just do a little bit of regeneration uh, to try to uh, uh, somehow repair some of the damage that has been made. And of course, a lot of people are trying to be very strict about celebrating Tubishvat, to have something to celebrate. Uh, it's traditional for us to eat uh, fruit and vegetables particularly Israeli fruit and vegetables. It was the Kabbalist Rabbi Yitzhak Luria from Tzvat who traditionally ate 15 varieties of fruits on the 15th day of Shvat, um, which of course is Kubi Shvat. Um, but of course, amongst the 15 fruits will be the seven fruits and nuts, which are specifically mentioned in the Torah, those that are indigenous to the land of Israel. Uh, and of course, these include those seven fruits that are specifically mentioned in the Torah, which are wheat, barley, grapes, I think raisins are okay instead of grapes, figs, pomegranates, olives, and dates. Those are the seven fruits that are mentioned in the Torah and that are considered to be indigenous to the land of Israel. And this year, we are being even more strict about making sure that we don't buy any fruits and nuts which might come from outside of Israel, and particularly not from Turkey because Turkey is a huge supplier uh, to Israel or has tradition in the past been a huge supplier to Israel of fruits and nuts. And so this year, everybody is being asked to be absolutely sure to buy blue and white only for Tubishvat. And of course, some people like to have a Seder and to drink four glasses of wine and to eat uh, the various fruits and nuts. So it is an occasion to have an occasion. And uh, for those people who um, would uh, give consideration to this, even if you just uh, buy some of the uh, traditional fruits and nuts to eat to mark the occasion of Tubishvat, um, there is certainly no harm in doing that. And of course, we are all awaiting patiently the judgment that is due to be handed down tomorrow mm. by the International Court of Justice on the uh, application for the Court of Justice to demand a ceasefire. And it's going to be very, very fascinating to see how the judgment is handed down tomorrow. People are concerned that there will be many political considerations um, in the judgment rather than pure judicial um, legal arguments. Um, as a, as a non-independent observer mm. um, of this, uh, the proceedings a couple of weeks ago, um, it seems to me that there is almost no case to be answered of genocide and therefore no reason why the court would wish to um, uh, 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 
demand of Israel a ceasefire to do, have a, uh, to to uh, uh, to hand down an injunction against Israel to stop the the war activities. There seems to be absolutely no case. I think that Israel's defense was extremely strong. I think the case that was presented was extremely weak. Not only was the case weak, but I think that when you specifically omit critical details of events that took place as part of the case that you're presenting, they were just kind of skimmed over without any relevance being attached to them at all. And I think when you when you try to blur the reality and the truth, that is a clear indication that you are really scraping the bottom of the barrel in terms of trying to present a legal argument to support your case. So I hope that the judges will see it like that. But of course, we will all be eagerly watching. I'm not really sure what time it's, the judges are due yeah, to I think they said their judgment it's, down. It's, I think, two o'clock South African time. So two o'clock Israel time as well. Do we know? I know that there's mm. a very big delegation going from South Africa, but, uh, you know, they need to go and charge cell phones. So that's why any excuse to travel abroad um, is, is, is what they'll do it for. But there's a very large delegation going from South Africa. Any idea? who's traveling from Israel? Um, I have no idea who will go from Israel. I presume that the main legal representatives who presented the case um, a few weeks ago will be back in the courtroom to listen to the judgment. Um, there are some really, really fascinating things that have been written about the case and particularly about why it is that so many of Israel's enemies around the world Israel's publicly announced enemies around the world have chosen not to join the case because it is the right mm. of every United Nations member to join the case if they wanted to, if they felt strongly about it, in the way, for example, that Germany joined Israel's defense, officially announced to the court that they are joining this particular so, so, so what does case that mean, on the though? side of the defense. Does that mean, well, you, you know, how, how does that work? Well, I, I'm not exactly sure what that means in terms of how things proceed in the court, but it's certainly a clear indication from Germany that they support strongly and publicly Israel's defense of its position. Now, South Africa doesn't have the same support from countries that you thought would be right in line to join this case um, not any of the Arab countries, not any of the Muslim countries, not any of the African countries who uh, present themselves as being pro-Palestinian and anti-Israel. Nobody, nobody joined the case. And so there is a big question as to why nobody else has joined South Africa's case. Um, and I don't really know the answer. A number of uh, uh, possible answers have been put forward, but uh, it's just kind of a little bit of food for thought. Uh, and I know that amongst the listeners, those who are convinced one way don't need to hear this and don't need to have an additional reason why they think the case is weak. But I think that for those people who might be sitting on the fence and thinking, you know, maybe there is a case to be answered, maybe there is a point about possible genocide in Gaza, there is certainly a massive loss of life, there is, that is undoubted, um, we can't deny that at all, and Israel is not trying to deny the loss of life in Gaza, but you know whether that really adds up to genocide, well, I guess the court will decide um, in their wisdom tomorrow. Um, but there is this just a very, very interesting question as to why no other country from around the world, not Iran, nobody, 
Nobody has formally joined South Africa's case. Why do we think that is? Mm, mm. It's, uh, it, it's really uh, very, very interesting and worrying. And of course, the latest article in the Jerusalem Post, major South African banks provide a platform for Hamas, doesn't do South Africa's case any favors either. Uh, Anthony, what is mm. the latest in terms of uh, Gaza and the IDF? What is, what, what's happening there? Well, I think there are two kind of big stories um, coming out of Gaza from yesterday. Um, story number one is really massive movement of civilians once again in Gaza from the area of Khan Yunus moving further south towards Rafah. That was a major event yesterday. Tens of thousands of people once again on the move within Gaza um, and being moved out of the Khan Yunus area. And we're seeing a, main, a, a greater concentration of IDF troops in the area of Khan Yunus. Now, Khan Yunus has been an area which has been um, under debate and discussion already for some time. Right at the very, very beginning of the war, it was proposed that many of the hostages who were kidnapped from Israel were being held in the Khan Yunus area, were being held in tunnels underneath Khan Yunus, in tunnels underneath Yahya Sinwar's house, his personal home. Reports about Yahya Sinwar actually being held in those tunnels alongside hostages who were being held in cages in the tunnels in the area of Khan Yunus. So there is a massive focus right now going into Khan Yunus and a massive movement of civilians. Now, when you see civilians moving in these numbers, and I've seen a number of video clips of the civilians moving towards the Rafah area, you can interpret it in one of two ways, and everybody will choose their side that they that they would like to, to use. But um, the Israeli narrative on the movement of civilians away from Khan Yunus is because the tunnels and because the infrastructure, the military infrastructure of Hamas is in within civilian areas and in order to allow the IDF to go in and to do their job of destroying the military infrastructure and destroying the tunnels and destroying the rocket launches that threaten the state of Israel, you can take two uh, decisions, one of two decisions as to how you do it. Leave the civilians there and go in and conduct war and say, well, this is what Hamas has done, and therefore civilian casualties are inevitable because the military infrastructure is right amongst the civilians. So that's one approach. Or approach number two is send flyers, send messages, knock on people's doors, send WhatsApps, say to people, move away from here, because within the next couple of days, we are gonna undertake a substantial military activity. And that's what the IDF generally choose to do wherever possible move the civilians out of the area and undertake the military activities with those civilians moved away from the area. But of course, there is a separate narrative. And the separate narrative is when you see thousands and tens of thousands of civilians moving with their cars loaded up and on donkey carts and on bicycles and running with a few belongings, then that is considered to be um, uh, activities against the civilian population, military uh, uh, control being asserted within civilian areas and unlawful military activities against civilians, which of course is sort of what the South African case of genocide was trying to present. Now, again, um, you know, we can all take our own views about exactly what's happening, but there was certainly massive movement yesterday of civilians as requested by the IDF so that they can go into the area of Khan Yunus. The other big story from yesterday was this United Nations shelter in Gaza that was hit 
uh, that went on fire, apparently as a result of being hit by a missile. Now, the IDF, um, and I should add that in this United Nations shelter were something like 800 to 1,000 people being sheltered in there, according to the, the reports that I've seen. And as a result of this hit of a missile on the shelter, we are told that nine people have died and 75 people have been injured. Now, I have little doubt that even the United Nations facilities are being used for military purposes, but the IDF has not come out saying that at all about the shelter. Instead, the IDF has said it is investigating the strike on the shelter. Of course, Hamas and the rest of the world are, blame, are blaming IDF fire for mm, um, hitting mm. the shelter, but the IDF has said that they have already done some preliminary investigations and that they have ruled out the possibility of any air or artillery activity around that area when that shelter was hit. So the IDF are not saying it quite out loud, but are already insinuating that this seems to be a repeat performance of the hospital that was hit, where the IDF was blamed for hitting the hospital. And then it kind of turned out that yeah, it was really a yeah. Hamas missile that hit the hospital. And that seems to be at least a strong possibility, even though it hasn't been said in absolutely unequivocal terms that this was a mortar or, or an RPG that um, was from Hamas that hit this facility. But we do know that civilians were killed. And we do know that in the most part, the people who were inside that shelter were indeed civilians of that. There seems to be no denying. Um, but the question is, whose missile hit that facility? And of course, um, we know what each of the parties will be saying about this. Um, and then there'll probably be the truth somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and that is exactly right, Anthony Rock. Thank you. As always, uh, thank you for an incredible week of reporting. We'll catch Anthony on Monday morning. Wishing you a Shabbat Shalom and a peaceful weekend. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Hi, it's Barry Cohen from the Blue Agency. Israel is currently facing one of its biggest challenges ever. All of Klal Israel is praying for the safety of our soldiers and the return of the hostages. We hope and pray that our soldiers and security forces will prevail and that they will all return home speedily and triumphant. We hold the hands of our clients and friends who have children serving in Tzahal, who are protecting Israel and Jews around the world. May Hashem protect us all. Oh,